action. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Average Critics. I'm joined today as usual by Obi and Chris. How are you both? Funky Dory. Good, thanks. You? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm always uh, very conscious in my mind. I'm like, did I say Chris then Obi last week? And this time I'm going to do Obi then Chris. And it's the same when I'm like writing the little blurb for the episode. So I'm like, mm. I try and like mix the names around so I'm not always putting certain people first or last. So, uh, yeah, that's the way my brain works. But um, we've got quite a lot to cover this week. Um, we've seen a lot of new releases. Um, there's TV, there's film, there's news. There were awards. So yeah. let's start there. Um, the 94th Academy Awards, a.k.a. the Oscars. Um, apart from... Slapgate, which uh, we can discuss if you wish. Um, some people and some films won some prestigious awards. Whether they are not so prestigious now as they once were is up for debate. But um, I'll go through the main winners, and if anyone has anything to comment on, then please do butt in. Uh, best picture. Um, I think Obi, you will give us a mini review of this later on. Uh, was a film called Coda, which is an Apple TV um, film. So they are the first straight to streaming film to win Best Picture, as far as I am aware. Um, I think Manchester by the Sea was an Amazon production, but it was released in cinemas. What about? Uh, um, oh, is this just to win Best Picture? Hmm. Oh, or okay. did Roma win? That's what I was thinking about. I was thinking Roma, yeah. But then that was, I think that was also in cinemas at some point. Oh, okay. Fair I think Coda was like just Apple, at least in the UK. Mm. Um, that one, Best Picture, I think some people were a bit surprised. Um, I've not seen it, so I don't know how it compares. Mm. I don't even know what it's about. But I know that uh, at least some of the main cast are deaf or hard of hearing. So I think mm. that's um, positive. Um Best director was Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog. She's the only the third ever female to win Best Director, but the second in a row. That's after, um Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Yes. Uh, best actor was uh, Will Smith. Finally. For playing a devoted husband. Oh no, sorry. For, oh, <laughs> uh, Richard Williams. Um, <laughs> oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for King Richard. Uh, um, was that like a was that his um, Leo moment? It's like you, you should have won this by now, or you're just going to win it. Or was he the best of those? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, I think it's a combination of both, to be fair. But I also think, as far as I'm aware, this is how many did Leo get nominated for before he won? One, six or seven? Oh Jesus! I could say probably about seven. I think this was only been nominated for two before this one. If what was he nominated for? Um, Pursuit of Happiness and Ali, I think. Yeah, I mean, Ali, that performance is amazing. Yeah. And he channeled that at the Oscars, didn't he? I was about to say, that was some, uh, <laughs> some lean back, wouldn't it? Well, to be fair, Ali wouldn't have slapped him, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he's 25 years older than he was back then. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, yeah, there's, I think it's an element of, like, oh, he should win one kind of thing. And also... Who else was nominated, I think? Javier Bardem 
Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Garfield, and Denzel Washington. Mm. I was going to say, has Andrew Garfield been nominated for quite a few now? He's done quite a few good... I think he's been nominated at least twice. I think he got nominated for Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was was good. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Denzel must have won before, right? Denzel's won for Training Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Did you ever watch The Tragedy of Macbeth? Um, I started it. Um, But I haven't finished it. I'm only, I'm only like 15 minutes in. So that's another uh, Apple exclusive, yeah. right? Yeah, Apple exclusive. But yeah, I'm going to watch that as well because it, it's hard for me to judge, obviously, um, this category because I haven't actually seen a lot of the films that people have been nominated for. So, mm. I think that's also um, possibly, at least for the UK, I don't know about America, but like, the issue with all of the films being on different services and mm. um, I don't... I mean, this being the Ricardos that Javier Bardem is nominated for um, and Nicole Kidman for Best Actress. Has that been out in cinemas yet? Is it I don't a, think so. Is it a streaming film? I have no idea, yeah. you know? Like, there used to be pre-COVID, come January, February... Like all of these films would be released in cinemas um, in the UK, uh, in you know, so that people would watch them before, or they'd come out just after the Oscars. Um, but now, I mean, Power of the Dog and Tick Tick Boom are both Netflix. Tragedy and Macbeth is Apple. King Richard came out in the cinemas, and no one knows where you can watch Being the Record. Apparently, it's on Amazon Prime, according to Wikipedia. Okay, <laughs> I'm just checking now because I actually don't know. Because normally the stuff like that pops up on my uh, thing, but I don't think this has. Oh no, it's here. Yep, it's here. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. So then you've you've got you've already got like four different mediums to watch the best actor. Best actress Jessica Chastain won for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I think is on Disney Plus. It is on Disney Plus. Haven't seen um, it. Then Lost Daughter uh, is on Netflix, which is what Olivia Colman was nominated for. Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers. Um, I think that's a Spanish language film, so it didn't have a particularly wide release. Um, yeah, it wasn't being, cinema, though. I remember seeing that. Being the Ricardos, like you just said, as Amazon Prime and Spencer's cinemas. But yeah, so you're now having to have quite a few different subscriptions and actively seek some of these out because they don't get massive releases. You know, cinemas are now the majority are like the big blockbusters and then you know if you want to watch a film like um what did i watch uh studio 666 or one of like the more indie releases you, they only show them at like quarter to eight or nine o'clock at night and it's like mm. we want to be driving home from the cinema at like half eleven um it's not a school night but you know that's the way of the world uh troy kotzer won um, for his performance in Coda, Obi can tell us later whether uh, that was deserved. But uh, Kieran Hines, um, I think, was very good for uh, Pop in Belfast. Mm-hmm. Um, best Supporting Actress is Ariana De Bose, or Bose, I still don't know how to say that, uh, for her role as Anita in West Side Story. She is also the second actress to win for that role um, as the previous incumbent. Um, so I'm going to... Uh, try and find the name of whilst Obi tells us about Ariana DeBose's performance. Um, she was pretty good. I don't know if it was Oscar worthy. She has one scene in particular 
um, when her um, her boyfriend dies, which as we there from that point onwards, I would say she's she's really good. Like shows a really like emotional performance, um, and obviously she's a great singer. She sung and she and she dances as well in it, and that's that's really good. I would say prior to that though, I wouldn't have thought that it was Oscar worthy. Um, but also you have to kind of compare to who else has been nominated. Um, and of these ones, I have seen Judy Dench's performance and I've seen Anjanae Ellis's performance. Um, and yeah, I suppose out of those, out of those I've, that I've seen, she probably is the the best one. I still think that the, the I don't know her name, but the young actress who played uh, Venus Williams should have been nominated. But, mm. you know. But yeah, no, she was good. She was good. And, you know, I think she, I'm sure she's been cast in something else as well that's coming out soon. But she she feels to me like one of those... Um, like one of those people who this award now is gonna like boost her into like stardom kind of thing because I've never heard of her before this. I've never heard of her either. Um, Rita Moreno won in uh, 1962 for mm. her role as Anita in West Side Story, so uh, left 60 years ago. And uh, Rita Moreno has one of only four people who have won the EGOT, which is the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. Mm. So good on you. She's still alive and she's 90. Bloody hell, good on you. Um, R.I.P. Uh, dot Cotton, by the way. Dot Rotten. R.I.P. Dot Rotten, no. <laughs> Overload. What was she, 95 or 96? 95. Mad old. Yeah, and she still smoked. So, those cigarette packets are lying. Um, so, what else is Ariana DeBose in? Craven the Hunter. That was it. Yeah, playing Calypso Azili. So, yeah, we will find out next year. Um, best original screenplay was Belfast. Adapted screenplay was Coda. Animated feature film was Encanto. Which was Machines. Yep, facts. International film was Drive My Car, which was Japanese. And, um, I mean, do we want to know in the rest? Best documentary, Summer of Soul by Questlove. That's uh, on Disney Plus as well. Yeah, I want to watch it. Somewhere. He got overshadowed, so his was the uh, award where by Chris Rock was presenting it and oh, right. uh, Will Smith slapped him. He then also, Questlove, won uh, a Grammy for that same film and nice. he uh, managed to have his moment in spotlight, so good mm. on you, Questlove. Um, any any comments on the 94th Academy Award? Um, should we talk about the elephant in the room? Um, I thought Dumbo came out a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, that film was awful. Did you see that film? <laughs> yeah, I did. It was so bad. <laughs> Jeez. But yes, okay, let's talk about uh, Will Smith and Chris Rock. So, um, Chris Rock was introducing, I think it was the best documentary, and uh, in his, as, as the presenters do, um, was making wisecracks and compared um, Jada Pinkett Smith to G.I. Jane, which was the film that. Demi Moore starred in in 1995 I think it was um, as the titular G.I. Jane and had a shaved head uh, Jada Pinkett Smith was sporting a shaved head um, because she is suffering from alopecia. Um, whether Chris Rock knew that or not uh, Apparently I he didn't know He didn't, okay, that I think maybe uh, Oh, I heard he did know and he's made a joke about this before Fair enough, I'm not seeing the joke Maybe okay. he did. Maybe he did. Well, I think I think the the severity well, of the joke will depend on whether he knew or not. 
Um, because he might have just seen her sporting a shaved yeah. head and then made the joke. Irrespective, um, Will Smith started laughing and then kind of was like, "Oh no, that's not funny." Uh, mm. Got got up on stage mm. and bitch slapped Chris Rock. Sat back down and then said, "Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth." Twice. Uh, Twice, all on live TV. Mm. Uh, Chris Rock was understandably a bit shaken, um, and <laughs> then Will Smith was sort of uh, supported by Tyler Perry and Denzel Washington. Um, they both since apologised, um, and Will Smith has resigned from the Academy. Um, oh God! There were talks of like him having to give back his Oscar, but I mean, there are a lot more problematic. I was going to say, come who on, have got man. Oscars? What's that Harvey guy? That, what's that pedophile uh, guy? Oh, Roman Polanski. Yeah, who's yeah. not even allowed in the US. Um, Kevin Spacey's got one. Kevin Spacey, yeah. Um, I think Louis C.K. has. Maybe he's not got an Oscar, but you know, there, yeah, there's a lot of problematic people with awards. Yeah. Uh, and so Will Smith, you know, didn't Casey Affleck beat up his wife or something? Hey, look, allegedly, we don't allegedly, know the facts. Sorry, allegedly, allegedly. I think, uh, the, I think the problem you got is that the whole world witnessed yeah. this act and whether it's right, wrong, defending your someone's honour, it's a pretty big no-no in general. Like, yeah. Slap someone with actually quite a lot of force. Uh, see, I actually don't think, I think he held back. So the way, so in my idea, I don't know, you flipping lean back, you know, but like, the lean way back the, with his body. The way he slapped him, right? If, in, my, in my eyes, yeah. If you're trying to, if you want to slap someone, and you want to make the highest impact possible. You spread your hand and then you let, you just let it fly. He kind of like made his hand a bit smaller and kind of like didn't hit him with with like the base of his hand. He kind of like it was re- it's a really weird punch, which made me think that maybe this is fake. Do you, do you actually think that? I'd say a slap would be harder if I put my fingers together and then got you in a sweet spot rather than spreading my hands and getting your whole face. I think yeah. I would say surface area would be. Uh, I, I reckon I'd, be, I'd, I'd make reckon, better contact reckon, if my hand is spread wider. No, I, reckon, I, reckon, I reckon fingers together. Bam. Right. Listeners, right, you need to vote on this. Fingers spread out or fingers close together. And what we're going to what, do what, is what, next what's time... What's on Glenn's face? No, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You're going to test on each other's face. So next time we're uh, in person, I'm going to film you both slapping each other with open and closed fists. Uh, sorry, palms. And uh, we'll post that. Um... But yes, so I think everyone was yeah. a bit confused as to whether it was a skit or not, and it became quite apparent it wasn't. Um, people are also on either side of the fence with regards to, you know, it was a distasteful joke, which I think it was. Um, but if Chris Rock didn't know that she had alopecia, then I guess that's a bit more like, you know... Uh... Didn't Ricky Gervais host it like two years in a row? Yeah, and, and this is I mean, the thing... That man, like... has, that man has no bounds on what he will say. And yeah, I don't really ever see like major, major, major backlash from him. Did he, did, does Ricky Gervais call up people specifically? Yeah. Oh what? yeah, I mean he was he yeah. spoke about um, Mel Gibson's alcoholism and uh, stuff like that, and and then they were like joking about it afterwards. Okay. Um, I think obviously we don't know why Will Smith did this, and he he was very emotional when he won his best actor speak. Um, when he was accepting his best actor and, you know, said that, you know, um, art imitates life, 
don't know, Richard Williams was a mm. kind of hot-headed, protective guy. Um, I was listening to a, another podcast um, which made a really interesting point. Um, so Will Smith's autobiography came out last year, um, and I've heard some of it um, from Audible. And one of the key themes of the book is how he um, felt like a coward for quite a lot of his life. His, I think his father was uh, not a very nice man. Um, and, and he would always kind of flight rather than fight. Um, and he, he talks about like you know, feeling regret and kind of maybe a bit emasculated and, and he's not like, doesn't feel like he's done the best job of being a father and a husband to Jada. Mm. Combined so with like, all, the, all, say, all the stuff as well, like, you know, like with Jada and that other guy, like all the entanglement stuff and like their, their relationship was like on show for the world to see for like the past year and a bit, I would say. And he's probably he's been yeah. scrutinised quite a lot as well. So probably all that probably builds up to the point where you're like, fuck, I've got to do something to show I that do, I'm like, you know. I do feel like their Red Table Talk is the worst possible idea for their family. If they're this conflicted with one another, putting it out on a TV series or a web series is like a terrible, terrible idea, in my personal opinion. But mm. they talk about so much and so much disdain for one another and that is like mental health wise yeah okay you should talk about your feelings but some of the things they say to each other is like I just don't think it's very nice and I well, think yeah. it's helpful yeah I think what it, well it's the thing it's not for us to say if it's helpful or not because obviously it's their thing in it so but like I think I, I think it's like it like I agree with you to be honest like I wouldn't actually maybe I would to be honest like because I think there is a therapeutic side to it but again, when you're that famous, you are going to be scrutinised, like you say. Like, I think there yeah. is a point where you like. I think it probably does help to talk about the issues that you have. But again, I, you probably know more. Than, I haven't watched the Red Table Talk ever, so I don't know I, how much they like. You know, to be honest, I've, I've only ever seen clips, and it actually makes me kind of feel a bit uh, cringe inside. Is probably the wrong phrase, but like, I feel like real, like I don't want to hear this, mm. so I don't carry on. But um, I don't mind if they were all to sit around the table and talk to each other about it. I don't have an issue with that. It's the mm. fact that I think when you get the Internet involved mm. and, and as much as anyone can say they don't read comments or whatever, I feel like people will read comments mm. or they will hear scrutiny from other people. And I feel like this might not. I just don't know. It's just me. Maybe my, the way my brain works is that I wouldn't want that to be advertised to the world. But yeah. I do feel like he has had a lot of pressure like like you said like with his kids with his wife i mean there was a point where aren't they in an open marriage now or they were in an open marriage i mean Supposedly. I, I assume he goes really deep into his roles and uh, is it king richard was it mm. yeah i mean mm. i heard it was quite a powerful roles it must have been if he won an award i guess so i kind of like just to kind of say like my piece on the whole not that anyone gives a shit what I think, but, you know. Um, I'm really I just breaking my silence. I want to hear it, go on. So, like, I'm not going to lie, yeah. Obviously, he, let's, let's call a spade a spade. He overreacted, in, in, my, in my opinion, to that joke. Because that joke is not that bad. Obviously, 
we don't know the circumstances, alopecia, you know, that can be, for a woman especially, that can be a serious thing for, like, your mental health. Like, women aren't supposed to lose their hair, you know? Um, however, I am fully advocating for him, if he thinks his wife has been disrespected and his wife feels disrespected, do what you've got to do. My only issue, my, and I'll tell you this, I've been dead serious, my only issue is that he did it in front of 15 million people. If you're going to do it, confront him after the show, in the dressing room, yeah. do whatever you're going to do. Like, because I understand as a comedian, you're you're supposed to push boundaries and tell jokes. Da, 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 da. You are all well and good to do that, in, in my opinion. But you can't be free of consequences. If someone takes the wrong side of your joke and takes complete offense to your joke, you can't be like, "Oh, I'm a comedian. It's what I do." You know? Yeah, I agree, and I 100% hope, agree with you that it should have been done behind closed doors. Yeah. Or actually, all Will Smith had to do was start shouting. I still would have thought it was not right. If he just did the shouting part, I kind of would yeah. have been like, okay, you're defending your wife. People could see it as a joke if you're sitting down. Like, do you I think, don't know. Do you think if he just shouted as a comedian, do you not think Chris Rock might have, like, get on a rise? Like, you know how people try to piss you off and you, once you see that you've got a rise out of them, you just keep going? Do you not think yeah. Like, but then I also feel like maybe, maybe he has, like, if it's Will Smith, so maybe Will Smith's yeah, I, I I see your point. I do see your point. But I feel like Will Smith has such a presence that like, I assume he doesn't get annoyed a lot. And mm. I assume he knows majority of his co-stars and everyone who's around him at these, these events. So mm. I assume if he got angry, maybe, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one because, yeah, you're right. Comedians do get um, more comedy out of people, getting a, getting a rise out of people, don't they? So... Mm. Yeah, so... Yeah, I'm... Sorry, I agree with both personal... of you, and I think... Sorry, go on. Go on, go on. The, the saddest thing... Go on, Obi. Oh, sorry, no, go go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, the saddest thing... Uh, the worst thing about it, in, in a sense, is... Will must have known that there was a strong chance he was going to win his, his first Oscar or Best Actor, which, you know, is the pinnacle of an actor's career. And this will always indelibly be tied to yep. that action. Yep. That's exactly what I was In perpetuity, say. like, do you remember when Will won that Oscar? Yep. Oh, yeah, what film was it for again? Oh, I can't remember, but do you remember he slapped Chris Rock? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. such a shame because you think, like, you know, can you not just hold it in? Mm. Do you know what I mean, like, yes, your wife was disrespected, but I mean, Christ, like you said, do it in private or just stand up and say to him, look, I don't appreciate that because it's personal. And then you can quash it. But uh, he's now just like he's kind of ruined that moment for him. Yeah. He's, you know, some of the films and stuff that were in production or pre-production are kind of being paused, which is a shame because... You know, one... it seems like a bit of an overreaction to me. <laughs> but... Yeah, I know, I know, uh, and I agree. But it's just a shame that that's always going to be tied to his win. I agree. Do, do you know what? I never even thought about like after he did it because obviously I didn't see it live. I assume you guys didn't see it live. But like when I watched that video afterwards, I was just thinking: one, is it fake? And two, um, I never, I never actually thought like he could be done for assault for it. Never even crossed my mind. Mm. Like, he genuinely could have been, like, Chris Rock was, like, a bitter person. 
they generally just been like, well, we just assaulted me and I've got not only video footage, but I've got 20 million people who are witness to this. Mm. Or however many people watch this show, I assume it's not 20 million, but I, uh, yeah. I feel like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. And did you say all these films are uh, stop production? I think I saw that Bad Boys 4 um, and another one that was think, supposed to be a Netflix film. They'd like put put hold on it, they said. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because I saw that he, he had just apparently just agreed to do I Am Legend 2 as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that too. Which I think was just to the side note, just to go on a t- tangent, that doesn't make sense because the f- ending of that film, he dies. But There's yeah. two endings to that film. Yeah. I know, but the canon ending, the one that come out in the cinema, he, yeah. he dies. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. It's a weird one. That um, was a weird anyone anyway. I mean, at, at, in the words of Alex Ferguson, he could have killed them. <laughs> he could have killed them. <laughs> could have killed them. Robin Van Persie stands in solidarity. In it, someone, I think Judd, is his name Judd Apatow? He tweeted um, Judd Apatow. That exact same thing. Like, oh, you could have killed him. I'm like, fuck, relax, mate. It's only a slap. Like, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I've been slapped before. I ain't gonna kill you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> do you want to give us a review on Coda then, as we're on the topic? Um, yeah. Um, Coda is a so the Coda stands for Child of Deaf. Sorry, Child of Deaf Adults. Um, and it is a film about um a young girl who everyone in her mum, her dad, and her brother are all deaf. So she's basically grown up having to sign for her whole family, her, her whole life. Um, her family are fishers, like they have a fishing boat, because that's like what they can, that's pretty much like one of the only things that they can do, or they feel that they can do whilst being deaf. Um, she works with them on the boat as well. And um, whilst like going to school and stuff, she's in high school. Um, and she basically discovers that, so she can sing. The girl who, the actress, I think, is in a band as well in real life. Um, but she basically um, joins a choir and because she wants to impress this boy or be next to this boy that she fancies but through that she kind of like develops a love for like singing performing um, and because she's really good her music teacher um, her music teacher uh, encourages her to audition to get a scholarship at uh, I think Berkeley was the school um, and basically she starts like going hard trying to um, trying to get this scholarship at the same time, her she's kind of like neglecting. So she works with her mum and dad and brother on the boat. And she at the same time, she was kind of neglecting her job on the boat. Um, and because of that, um, the uh, their boat got inspected. Um, and because there was not a person who, who could hear on the on the boat, um, they were basically like, oh, this is dangerous. Like, you couldn't hear us, like, our horns blazing for, like, the Coast Guard or whatever. So we're suspending you from fishing, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then they all, like, blame her, basically. And she gets, like, pissed off because she feels that massive burden of kind of having to be this connector between her family and the rest of the world. At the same time, she kind of feels, like, left out from her family because they're, they're deaf and they have this connection that she doesn't share with them, even though obviously she can sign. But, you know, it's not the same um her mum in particular is quite dismissive of her ability to sing um which they don't really res- resolve in the film i think she her mum's kind of like oh can you really sing or oh, what if, she's like signing to her husband oh can you really sing or oh, what if she's horrible what if she can't sing da, 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 da. then saying that she, does, she doesn't want them to, she doesn't want her to go to college 
and stuff because she'd leave the family, blah, 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 blah. And then she kind of just gets over The mum just kind of gets over it and is like, oh, actually, yeah, I really wanted to go to college. And I was like, mm, okay. The dad seems much more supportive. Um, and he is much more accepting of her, like, kind of like wanting to go to college and stuff. Um, these fish, the, these family, they start their own, um, fishermen's, like, they start selling their own fish rather than, because before they were catching the fish, giving it to some other guy having to pay them a percentage for them to sell the fish. They were like, fuck this, we're getting ripped off, blah, blah, blah. So they go and start their own, fi- their own fishing business. And because they're all deaf, they needed someone to be able to talk who could like do like the business and stuff. So they were like, oh, uh, what the hell was the girl's name? Can't remember. Ruby, maybe? I don't know. But they were like to the, <laughs> to the girl, oh yeah, don't leave us, basically, because we need you now that we're starting this business, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, and she's like, now I have to leave. I want to fulfill, like, I want to, I want to be, I want to sing, like, I want to, you can't just let me be here all the time for you. It's exhausting kind of thing. Um, and in the end, they all kind of like reconcile. And they're like, yeah, now go and sing. We'll, hire, we'll just hire somebody to um, work on the boat and we can teach them how to sign, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, they will have happily ever after. And this girl is kind of like, she's, at, she's also, she wants to like break away from her family and kind of like experience her own life. But at the same time, she's scared because like, her family, her family are like super close and they're like all she knows and all she kind of like has been around for the 18 years of her life. And I think the same is, it's the same on the, on like the mum and dad side as well. Like you want your child to go grow and be in the world and be their own person, but at the same time you're scared for them to kind of leave this world that only you, only you all have known kind of thing. Um, and the film is good. It, in a good way, it reminds me of like a Disney Channel movie, but in a good way. Um, in that it's like quite heartfelt, quite cute. Um, but like, it's re- I think it's well acted by pretty much everyone. And one of the things that I normally say is that like I'm all, I'm always very impressed with like non-verbal acting. Um, and obviously this film like 90% non-verbal acting. Um, and them having to sign um, the main cast having all having to sign and being able to convey the emotion that that you're feeling or that it's being written like in the subtitles. And me being able to feel that through just looking at them doing the signs and their faces and what reading subtitles is like, um, was like really, what's the word? Um, I don't know. I just enjoyed the way that that was portrayed because I, I, I felt everything that they were, um, that they were acting kind of thing. And I think that can sometimes, for me personally, I won't speak for anyone else, can sometimes get lost in translation with things where maybe I sometimes like have to read subtitles. They're like the emotion can get, a bit lost because I'm too busy reading the subtitles. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's um, it's an enjoyable film. I would say, I would say, it, and it's like uh, quite a lot of these times. Like we see these films. Like I'm thinking of, sorry, I'm gonna call it Barry Jenkins here. Like Moonlight. Uh, if Bill Street could talk, I'm thinking of like random films um, that that kind of were like Oscar got nominated for Oscars, and the endings are fucking shit. Like the endings are sad. Like this one, <laughs> the ending good. Like they come to a compromise. These lot get their business going with the boat. She, sorry, I'm spoiling some, but don't know. But uh, she, you know, happy and she's going off to college and she's going to be around person. Like, at the same time, she she gets with this boy that she fancies as well. So there's like a little, you know, little bit of romance there as well. Um, yeah, it's a cute film. I'd say, give it a watch if you can. I, however, let me give a however. I am not entirely convinced yeah. this is an Oscar worthy film. <laughs> That's what, that was going to be my question. <laughs> just putting that out there. Just putting that it's a it's a good film, and you know what? It's great for like representation. I've never actually for this and Sound of Metal, like the only two films that I've watched that 
portray um, deaf people in a or you see it from the perspective, see a film or from the perspective of someone who's deaf. Um, and there's even one mo- there's even one moment where the family they're all watching her perform, and obviously for the majority of it we can hear her singing and performing, blah, 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 but then just switch to the you know the mum's perspective, dad's perspective, and it's just silent, and they're just they're just looking like for other people's reactions so that they can react to what their daughter's doing, but they don't know what they don't know what it sounds like, and that, that must be so obviously like duh, but it must be so incredibly frustrating. You see people sitting uh, standing up and applauding for your daughter because she's singing so well, and you can't hear it like i can't imagine how excruciatingly painful that must be um yeah and then there's another scene later on just after that i think where actually no i won't say because i'm going maybe you might want to watch it so um but yeah i i, I enjoyed the film a lot okay that's good out of 10 uh i'll say i'll give it an eight yeah so i mean out of 10, you, you know, you'd expect an Oscar film to, to be ranked that. I'm not saying all 8 out of 10s well, best picture worthy, because um, mm. I'm pretty sure I gave nobody an 8 out of 10. So I wouldn't say that would be best picture. But <laughs> hey-ho. Um, Just quickly, right? So I know we kind of like, we've kind of like skirted over this topic um, maybe when we first started the podcast. But like, where do you guys stand on that? Because I've seen, I saw so many people saying that they thought that Spider Man should have been nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, where do you guys stand on like those big blockbuster films being nominated for? I wouldn't have a problem with a film that genuinely was a masterpiece of filmmaking mm. uh, being nominated. Um, there was a lot of people. Um, who were upset that Dune wasn't nominated um, in the major categories. Um, I disagree with that, but that's because you know, I don't appreciate Dune as much as others. Mm. I would maybe say, and you will probably disagree with me, and Chris certainly will, that you know The Batman is the type of film which is a proper, like, well-made film and as well as being, like, a superhero film. So yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with that. The Dark Knight did quite well, and and you know it was a film, and but it just happens to be about a superhero. Um, mm. No Way Home um, is not a. It's a good film, but it's not an especially well made film mm. in terms of like you know high art, which is essentially what the Oscars are rewarding in in my opinion is mm. high art. Um, no Way Home is not high art. It is pure unadulterated fan service mm. and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that either because I fucking loved it but would I put that at you know on a level with some of the best made films um you know you've got things like um um and Tommy Lee Jones uh, No Country for Old Men mm. That's a that's a that's a film, you know. So I think there's nothing wrong with those sorts of films being nominated, but I don't think just because they're hugely successful uh, and hugely popular that that means that they should win the Oscars. Agreed. Because their reward is box office. Agreed. Didn't Black Panther, Black Panther get nominated for an Oscar? Might make him out. I didn't hear what you said. My internet is buggy. Oh, sorry. 
Uh, don't worry, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You say was Black Panther nominated? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it was nominated for something. But, again, like, was it, was it, like, a really well-made film? I don't know. Um, but, you know. Was it, was Avengers the last one nominated? I think. There was, there wasn't there like a fan? A fan award, yeah, there was, yeah. I don't think so. And, it was a fan award. And also, was, it was Avatar nominated? Yeah, but probably in the visuals, no? I don't know. Interesting one. I don't know about Avatar. I know, so just look, Wikipedia, Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture. It was the first superhero film to get nominated for Best Picture. Wow, okay. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, have to re- I'll, I'll have to rewatch it, I think. I love, I love, honestly, I love it's a good that film, film, but like. I love that film. No, it's not Best know, Picture. What were the other nominations that year? That's a good question. Let me quickly look it up. Um. Other ones that year were, but yeah. Um, so Green Book, which one? Um, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. That was a strong year. Oh, so Roma didn't win Best Picture. No, I think he won Best International. Okay. Or did he win Best? And I think he won Best Director, no. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's, so maybe Coda is the first, like, streaming release. Um, but, yeah. Um, and to be fair, it was Green Book, but, like, a particularly well-made film, I don't know. I liked it, but... Um, talking of uh, streaming films, Chris, we have seen Fresh. Um... Oh, I accidentally typed it as flesh earlier. <laughs> uh, could, that's also an apt title for it. Um, I described it on Instagram, where we are at the average critics, as probably the most un-Disney film you could get. Um, on paper, it's certainly not your type of film, Obi, but I think you might uh, if not enjoy it, then you'd be alright watching it. Mm. Um, Obi, did you ever watch the Hannibal comedy theory? thriller? Um, Sorry, Chris, what was that? Did you ever watch any of I the episodes did, yeah. of Hannibal TV series? No. Oh, okay. Now you can carry it on, Glenn, sorry. All right. Uh, I don't think this is... I mean, there are some similarities with Hannibal, but this is a lot lighter in tone. Um, so it's uh, the director, directorial debut of Mimi Cave. It's uh, actually produced by Adam McKay, who's done, obviously, Don't Look Up, uh, Vice, and Anchorman and stuff. So that kind of sense of humour, you can kind of attribute that uh, to Adam McKay. Essentially, it's about a uh, young single woman uh, in New York called Noah, played by David Jones, who was in uh, Normal People, that show, I think it was on BBC, uh, set in Ireland. Um, But so she's like fed up of online dating, not being very lucky, by chance, bumps into this uh, charismatic guy called Steve in the um, fresh produce aisle in a supermarket, uh, played by Sebastian Stan. Um, they go on a few dates, they get frisky, um, 
they go back to his on one occasion and she uh, is drugged and falls unconscious and wakes up uh, as a captive. Um, Steve then explains that he is uh, the butch- a butcher of human meat uh, and sells body parts to wealthy clients um, and he will keep her alive as long as possible as long as she uh, follows his rules so that her meat is fresh um, and there are other people locked in different cells as well. Um, then it's all about, you know, her coming to terms with that. Um, she seems to be one of his favourites, so she uses that to her advantage to try and get out. Um, and uh, eventually um, kind of seduces him, um, bites his cock off and uh, escapes with the other prisoners. Um, Wait, and- what? Yeah, uh, and then eventually kills him and his uh, wife, <laughs> um, who seems to be in on it. Um, yeah, uh, so she, she survives, but with one arse cheek less, because uh, he chopped up. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, when I describe it, it sounds horrific and very sore-like, but it is not. Um, it, there, there's a certain playfulness to it, which... Um, I appreciated. Some people might see it as distasteful or kind of like jarring, but um, Sebastian Stan is relishing this performance. He he is very charismatic. Kind of the the matter of factness that they portray this in is is in itself quite funny in like a dark way. Um, so like when Noah is trying to get into Steve's good book she's like oh I'm curious to try it and then they sit down and they have this like meatball and she's eating it and um, she's like oh so who is this and he's like oh it's Melissa and she's like oh okay um, and then they make some like dark jokes about eating flesh and stuff and um, it, it, it's a lot worse when I say it out loud but when you watch it it's kind of like tongue in cheek in a way I don't know is that the kind of vibe you got from it Chris? What was that? Sorry, the last part you said. I said, was that the sort of vibe you got from it? Like, how did yeah. you read the film? Yeah, I I thought it was quite. It's obviously like tried to be a bit light-hearted with it, with also like the seriousness of it was yeah, it's quite it's it's it, Sebastian Stan like made it like almost jokey that he was. So he was cutting up flesh and selling it on and he seems to have a great enjoyment out of doing it and the girl yeah, just played along with it really and they just made quite out there odd jokes about it and I guess that's the way she successfully survived, I guess. Yeah. It was, um... and, and it's not like gratuitously gory either, you know. You'd ex- like if this was a saw film, you would see you know in gruesome detail like him chopping up flesh and like there'd be loads of blood. But you, a lot of it's off screen, and and when you do see a body part, it's like like a ham on, you know, like just something you'd see in the supermarket. It wouldn't necessarily know it was human. So there, there is that element to it as well. And, and the yeah, they tried to make it quite chefy, didn't they? The way he did it all. Yeah, <laughs> I just throw the yeah. slab of leg like, or or shoulder or whatever it was down the on the table and then just like feeling it up and then making it into dishes for the evening. So uh, it's definitely an interesting film. Uh, it's it's one of those times where I feel like I'll say I wish it was a TV series 
but then I feel like a TV series might have been too long. So in this case, I feel like the film, it just could have been a longer film. I feel like there's yeah. some extra bits that needed, like, fleshing out. Uh, <laughs> um, what would you want to see expanded upon? Well, like, I wouldn't mind seeing, like, her, like, her mental state afterwards. I mean, I guess I don't know how interested I'd been, but, like, she did eat human flesh. So it'd be interesting to know, like, does she really like it? Has she? Will she be like ill for days after? Will she have to go to a therapist? I also feel like the wife was a really interesting angle, and they didn't really explore it too much. So, for context, you can ever you plan to watch the show? Um, maybe you can you can spoil it though. So, like the friend goes on a hunt to find. Uh, so her friend Melissa, right, goes on a hunt to find. Uh, it's not Melissa. Uh, no? It's Molly. What the friend is Molly? Yeah. Okay. So Molly goes to find her. They find don't the eat. Main... Melissa. Melissa's one of the people that they eat. Ah, uh, see, I thought I thought because <laughs> she had cut. He, she had been cut up a bit, so I thought she ate her a bit of her, and that's when she clocked on. Oh no no no. Okay. Well, anyway, regardless. Um, so the friend goes to look for her. Uh, finds that this geezer has a wife. The only stupid part was that she went to the wife, oh, I think your husband's been cheating on you. The wife just didn't seem to really give a shit. She was like, I think you should leave. I think you should leave. Don't worry. Then the husband, then he comes in and she's like, oh, your name's, I can't remember the name she says. Steve, no, his name's Steve and, no, oh, I don't know anyway. And then yeah, she calls him Steve and he says, no, my name's Brendan. Brendan, that's it. And um, basically, she keeps pushing and pushing and it's almost like they're going to let her go and then she brings her friend's phone or she brings his number, the friend sent it, and his phone starts going off and he's like, well, you shouldn't have done that. And then they just knock her out and then capture her. Um, I don't know where my point was going with this. Yeah, so like the wife aspect, obviously the wife's involved in it. And then later on, you see the wife has one of her legs missing yeah. or removed. Uh, so my fault is there's two ways that could have been. Either Brendan or Steve or whatever you want to call him started chopping her up. And then she was like, I'll help you. And then she stayed with him. Or she's an amputee and she just runs the business with him. Uh, that, was that the right terminology I used there? I don't know. Um yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that whole aspect could have been branched out a lot more. And if there was a TV series out of it, again, not saying it should necessarily be a TV series, uh, but that, that whole aspect could have been explored in quite a bigger depth, uh, from personally. But yeah, yeah, just a few things. I think yeah, it's a decent show to be fair, though. Um, I think it could have been, yeah, like 10, 15 minutes longer because it's just under two hours. And I think that aspect of the wife is very interesting. I kind of read it as she was one of his victims and then became his wife or was his wife and, you know, was then a victim um, in some regard. But, yeah, her her part in it is very fleeting um, and she's off quite quickly. Um, Obi, you'll find one particular bit funny. There's a... So Molly's boyfriend or ex-boyfriend who they're flirting 
he's a barman and when Molly goes missing after trying to find Noah, he then goes to find Molly and then ends up at the house uh, where Steve is keeping all the victims and um, he, he's sitting in the car and he's like approaching the door and then he's like, oh, no, no, no. and then he like hears gunshots and he's screaming and he gets back in the car and he's like, fuck this, I know how this is ending, and then just, like, drives away. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, definitely how Respect, most people will probably react, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, like, one of those things, you're like, that would actually happen. Like, mm. he, you read, you watch it, and you're like, oh, he's a dickhead because he didn't try and save them. But it's like, he would have died. Like, he knows how that ends. Uh, so I thought that was quite funny. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I'd love to have seen your face, Obi, when we were describing it because it probably sounded pretty horrific. But yeah, it sounds pretty gruesome, I do It's not though, and that's the weird thing. Um, it's it's not particularly bloody and like it's nothing like Saw or anything like that. It's not kind of the torture porn. It's um, just a black comedy about a cannibal butcher and his victims. But uh, mm. yeah, give it a go. I uh, gave it seven and a half, I believe. Um, so Jack, I do give things more than seven. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that is a solid Hulu original Disney Plus, um, which you know, after a lot of parents were like, "My kid's gonna watch Punisher and be corrupted," they didn't seem to be too bothered that their kid might turn into a cannibal, and that's mm. why you have age ratings and parental controls. Yeah, um, let's stick with. Uh, Disney Plus. Um, small bit of film news. Apparently, Ms. Marvel uh, is going to be rated PG, which would make it the first Marvel uh, product to be rated PG, um, oh. which is interesting. Mm. Interesting for me, anyway. Um, on the other hand, Moon Knight is TV 16, which would presumably correspond to 15 in the UK. Um, and episode one was released last week. Uh, by the time this is out, episode two probably would have been released. Uh, so we'll discuss that at another time. Um, but yeah, Obi, do you want to give us a quick rundown of episode one of uh, Moonlight and whether the waking life is <laughs> dreams? Latest gators. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Moonlight starts, we meet uh, this character called Steven who chains himself... Oh, no, sorry. It starts with some random mysterious man, played by Ethan Hawke, um, crushing up some glass and then stepping on... putting in shoes and then stepping in shoes and walking about. When that happened, I was like, okay, I'm going to like this. This is, this, is, this is interesting. I like this character. Um, and then it goes to uh, this character called Stephen, who's chained himself to a bed. Um, presumably, because um, obviously being... Say we're someone who's never seen a trailer... Presumably, it's because he sleepwalks and he's trying to stop himself from sleepwalking. So he's, excuse me, he's chained himself to a bed and he's sealed uh, his door with tape and stuff, whatever, whatever. Um, he seems a bit lackadaisical, bit, bit, a bit dopey, even though like he clearly like is smart, but dopey. He works at a museum. Um, he um, has a random date with this girl who's in top one. Um, and he didn't even know that like he made this date, so he was like really surprised by it. He calls his mum a lot. His mum doesn't answer, obviously, because well, you know. Um, he speaks to random guys. Seems like a guy who doesn't really have many friends and stuff. And yeah, so he's this character who, again, 
um, to stop himself from sleepwalking. When he goes home, he'll like do anything that will occupy himself to keep himself awake, listening to tapes, reading books, blah, 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 blah. Then wakes up in a random field um, and with some random guys chasing him with guns, trying to kill him. He sees um, Ethan Hawke character surrounding this town of people. Um, seems a bit cultish. Um, then he sees... Um, what's Ethan Hawke's character's name? Sorry, is it Arthur? It's Arthur something, huh? I'm going to call him Arthur. Arthur Harrow. Arthur Harrow. He sees Arthur Harrow. I forgot. He sees... That's a dispute. He sees Arthur Harrow. Um, talk about this god called Amit, I believe, um, and how she's going to return one day, and all these people believe in her. One woman volunteers to be judged by Amit. Even Hawks, uh, sorry, uh, Arthur's got this scale tattoo on his hand that seemingly judges people and their deeds and whether or not they're worthy to, I suppose, make it past the judgment of this Amit god. Um, this woman's scales, no, what I think one guy's scales are, are calm. Like they're balanced, so he's like, "Cool, you're gonna live." Another woman comes; her scales are off. She's like, "Oh, but I'm good my whole life." And uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Arthur says, "Oh, well, Amit judges on your past, your present, and your future. So if you ain't done anything bad now, you're gonna do something bad in the future." And then he kills the woman. Presumably, he takes her life force or something like that. But the woman dies. Funnily enough, um, that made me think of um, you know Project Insight from Captain America: The Winter Soldier, obviously where they're like. Um, their project was like trying to find people on earth based on what they they might be capable of doing um rather than what they actually have done and funnily enough also in that's the, one of the easter eggs in winter soldier is that he just i think he describes um stephen or mark or mark or whichever whatever we're calling him anyway um stephen has this um amulet thingy in his hand which doesn't know where he got it from Arthur says give me the amulet he says he tries to give it to him but for some reason he can't like there's some sort of, of being in his uh, in his body that's stopping him from doing it then he hears a voice in his head like don't give it to him and like saying like the idiot's back very very Venom style very Venom Eddie Brock style um, and then yeah the the people try to attack him and take the thing away from him scene cuts cuts back there's blood everywhere people are dead which I thought, I thought was just a pretty cool effect. Um, and like, he's like, what the hell has just happened? Like, cause he just blacked out. He didn't know what happened. And then these people chase him again. He goes to a truck and starts driving off. And he's basically trying to avoid these people whilst at the same time he's blacking. <laughs> whilst the people, these people are attacking him to defend himself. When he has to defend himself, he blacks in and out of these scenes. He comes back. More people are dead. People are falling off cliffs. People are getting hit by trees and logs and stuff. CGI is terrible. Um, shoddy. It's so shoddy. Very bad. Um, maybe some of the worst CGI I've seen yeah it's really bad which is surprising for you know this Disney project because this is the worst CGI we've seen in these TV shows so far surely yeah how much like visual effects were in WandaVision and mm. like they were good mm. yeah, yeah. It feels like, I feel like an extra hour on it would have uh, would have probably, probably solved a few issues agreed, or, <laughs> agreed. Or, even, or even just cutting out some of the bits you didn't need all that I mean, all that happening, like, there's so much poor scene. It wasn't like it was one frame. It was the whole scene. It was scene. the whole like, the scene, yeah. Ru- rubbish, the cars looked rubbish. That, yeah. that, that whole scene was a bit funky yeah. for me. Agreed, agreed. Um, but yeah, so he is fucking up these guys with guns and shit, killing people, whatnot, whatnot. Then 
as I think he's about to fall off a cliff or get hit by a tree or something like that. He wakes up, thinks it's all a dream. Um, he uh, misses his date with this woman because he's been asleep for, well, he's been not with it for two days and he missed like two days, so that woman's pissed off of him. He goes in uh, back to his house and he finds a phone that's ringing, or maybe he ring, he calls the phone, I can't remember. But yeah, he, he talk- finds um, he finds it, and uh, there's Layla, like, calls from Layla, and yes, he returns one of them. And she's yeah. like, where have you been? He's like, who the hell are you? Yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, and she's like, what's up with, I really like that, this phone call, by the way. She's like, oh, what's up with your accent? Like, what's going on? I haven't seen you for months, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, how do you, why are you what calling accent? me? I don't, don't have an accent. <laughs> why are you, he's like, yeah, he's like, why are you calling me, Um, why are you calling me that name? So she called him Mark, and obviously he, you know, he himself is called, is Stephen. Um, and it was quite eerie. Like, I really like that aspect of it. Um, then, like he, it bare shit starts to happen. Like lights start flickering. He starts seeing images in the wall. He's like running out of his flat, and there's something chasing him, chasing him. Runs into a lift, and he's like scared shitless. And this old woman comes by and shits shit herself. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then we get to like I think it's like the next day. He goes to he goes to work, thinks someone's following him. Turns out this Arthur guy is following him. Um, he says to him, like, give me the amulet. And he's like, I want to give it to you. Da, 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 da. He uses his tattoo again to judge him. But the thing doesn't, I think it like, shakes a bit, but it doesn't actually judge him. And then Arthur says to him, you've got chaos in you. I really want to know what that means. Um, and then <laughs> for some reason, this guy followed Stephen to work. Stephen, he's still at work. He runs away and then just carries on with his day. <laughs> like, they're still there. Yeah. Like, why did, you, why, did you, why did you go home? Yeah. Anyway, um, and then yeah, he uh, gets to later in the day for some reason. It's fucking late at night, and the, every, all the lights off. And he decides to go snooping around because he can hear noises and that. Then uh, Arthur basically got some uh, some monster thing out to go and kill him, to try and kill him. Chases him into a uh, into a toilet, and he's like panicking, looking, and then he like looking in the mirror, and then this other version of him. This is Mark. Um, saying to him like let me take control let me take control I can save us I can save us and then he lets him take control turns into Moon Knight and uh, yeah he kills the kills the monster and the episode ends good episode mm-hmm. I liked it yeah the dodgy CG aside I really enjoyed this episode um, I didn't have, I didn't know anything about Moon Knight before um, the trailer for this even the trailer I mean, I remember saying that, like, I thought the accent was, like, really shit. Yeah. Um, But we only ever heard a snippet of it. And I I didn't actually have any um, issue with it in the episode. Um, And actually, um, Oscar Isaac came out and said that he uh, based the accent on um, the Jewish community uh, in North London and the accent that a lot of them tend to have because um, Mark Spector is... Jewish American, oh, right. um, so that that adds like a layer of depth to it, which I would never have got if if um, he hadn't said that. So it oh, makes yeah. sense. To be real though, a layer uh, of depth to how he does his voice. Uh, I mean, it, the voice didn't bother me. I thought it bothered me loads, but it didn't actually bother me in the end. But like whether he tried to mimic someone else, it's still not. I wouldn't say. A an accent I've ever heard, or a very I, good accent. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris. I I don't think I don't think the accent's good, but it's not egregious. So it doesn't bother yeah. me. But I don't think the yeah. accent's good particularly. I, I thought I thought it was going to really grind like grind away at me, but like yeah. you soon get used to it. And it's, it's 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 perfectly fine. Yeah. I also found Stephen Grant like very endearing. Um, he's 
like you said, he's a bit dopey, he's a bit of a bumbling idiot, but he's very sweet and mm. like, you know, when he's talking to the statue and he's like, oh, uh, you know, catch up later, mate. And to be honest, I was I was half expecting. He said, be... "Sorry, sorry, guys. Sorry. He said, see you on the flip flop.' No one has ever said that. Yeah, <laughs> some of these catchphrases were flipping. Who the hell wrote this script? Like, what the hell? The only person I don't say see you on the flip flop was Jack Black in School of Rock. So fair enough. Okay, maybe it was a nod to that. But <laughs> I, I was I was half expecting them to reveal that the statue was just a statue and not even a man. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would have been quite funny. But um. Yeah, you know, he's um he he's clearly struggling and uh apparently the original character of Stephen Grant was like a Bruce Wayne type figure, like very wealthy and suave and stuff, and they wanted to like really step away from that, um to to give Stephen and Mark like two like distinct separate characters. Um and uh in this, there, his his studio apartment was huge from what I could see. So he he must have some kind of money. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think he played, you know, particularly in the last scene when he's switching between characters. But apparently that was one take, and so there was no edits in that. So he was switching between characters himself, which is uh, also impressive. I quite like, you know, Ethan Hawke's character is very interesting. He's one of those villains where it's like he has his own moral code in a way, which you might be able to, um, on some level understand if not agree with um you know in the same way that thanos was like you know i'm decimating the universe to save the universe and you're like i kind of see where you're coming from but i think your methods are a bit uh you know questionable but it's kind of like the minority report thing as well isn't it where like you know do you apprehend a criminal before they've committed a crime because they're technically not a criminal yet um so yeah it was very interesting um i was by the third or fourth time he blacks out and you don't see the action, I was like, I really want to see the action. I agree. And also, um, it gets to the end and it, and obviously we don't even get to see him fight the monster either. Yeah, so I hope that's just a first episode thing because mm. if that continues, I'm going to get very irritated by that. Because I agree. <laughs> all the action is off screen and you're like, how much money are you saving by <laughs> not showing this? Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very, very uh, interested in this. Um, and I have absolutely no idea where it's going to go. And to be honest, I don't even know how much connection to the wider MCU there will be. Because mm. uh, there wasn't really anything specific in the first episode. Um, and I think that they've put in the chronology that it's set, like, it's like the most recent, it's like after Hawkeye, which was at least a year after uh, Endgame. So, right. yeah. Chris, Obi, thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm the same as you. Like, I'm enjoyed, enjoying it. I enjoyed it. Looking to see where it goes. Like, obviously, we kind of like um, use these shows to kind of like get off any theories that we have. But thinking about, it, I can't really think of anything that I can even theorize on. I mean, I feel like I need another episode to find out what actually is going on. Who is Mark? Who is Stephen? Who is the the masked? You know, who is the Moon Knight? Who like, the guy with the deeper voice who's calling him an idiot and stuff? Like, I need. I want. I want next episode. I want some background. I want to know what's like the backstory to his character kind of thing and then we can go from there and uh, yeah like you said I think Ethan Hawke's character um, is interesting and I'm curious to see if this god that they're talking about um, will make an appearance or you know if we get a bit more into that it'd be pretty interesting if it goes back into like ancient Egyptian time which it seems to be you know that's always pretty interesting as well like lore and stuff so yeah mm. 
Chris, what were your initial thoughts this episode? Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting, actually. I, I generally didn't think I'd not be that interested in it. Um, far a few silly catchphrases and... Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was pretty good, actually. I'm intrigued to know... Oh, sorry. I'm intrigued to know where this is going to go. Uh, again, I, I'm not too sure if I know much about this character in general anyway. Um, but, yeah, I think... I feel like they've done it on purpose, not showing the fight scenes for the time being. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I feel if it goes to another episode where we don't see the full fight scenes, I'd be pretty vexed. Um, I'm hoping it's just because the first episode we are very much supposed to see and understand what Stephen is experiencing, and he is obviously confused and not not remembering things. So I re- I hope that we grow with him as an audience, and, and mm. like you know when Mark comes out, and I don't know whether he ever gets control of Mark or vice versa, but um, then hopefully we'll see some action. Um, mm. The so four of the episodes are directed by a guy called Mohammed Diab, who's an Egyptian director. Um, and two of the episodes, episodes two and four, are directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who are show running Loki season two. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on with that. Um, but I also think it's important that um, Mohammed Diab um, and also uh, Maya Kala, Kalamawi, um, who will play Layla, um, she's also Egyptian herself. So there's... Mm you know, actual Egyptian representation. Um, yeah. Although <laughs> I listened to an interview with Oscar Isaac and at no point did the interviewer ever mention the fact that he played an Egyptian god in X-Men Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. A massive oversight. <laughs> that, was the, oh, that would be yeah. the first thing I'd have asked him. I'd be like, wow. so how much did Apocalypse prepare you for this role? Wow. Yeah. God, what a terrible yeah. film. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, good good solid first episode um i don't remember the first episodes of the other series enough to be able to rank it but uh obi you've normally got a good memory for these sorts of things yeah um so yeah i was kind of thinking of it so hawkeye mm, nah didn't rate it um loki was interesting and i think was very like we theorized a lot based on loki's first episode at the time so yeah that was that was up there one division again because we didn't know what the fuck was going on. That was good for, like, speculation and stuff. Obviously, some people were, like, literally, like, what the fuck is going on? I don't like this. So it was a bit, meh. Um, Falcon with Soldier. Can't remember what the first episode of that was. Um, yeah. And What If? Meh. So, yeah, this is up there, I would say, for the terms of premiers. I'm happy. We are, I think, almost exactly one month out from Doctor Strange. Oof. Oof. <sighs> Apparently another trailer's coming out tomorrow. Wow. And we've still not had a four four trailer. Yeah, I didn't really think they said they've started their um something, like production like tour or something. Press or something like that. Press tour, yeah. yeah. So we've got you have to imagine. It still comes out in like months. three months. I know. It's insane. Um question, yeah. quick question. Do you think four's still gonna be fat in store four? No. I I don't think he will. They'll either do like some kind of montage of him uh, doing exercise on the ship in front uh, just to annoy Quill, mm. uh, or they'll just click their fingers and he'll be slim again. Um, whilst we're on the theme of 
Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, here we go. Adjacent. Um, <sighs> <laughs> a new Marvel superhero arrives. Where? <laughs> this fucking guy. Um, so yeah, Morbius was finally released. Um, about two years late, I think. <sighs> Should have delayed it again, maybe. Um, and really have you seen it? Thing. Yeah, I saw it yesterday. Oh, you poor soul. Have you seen it? No. Do you mind if we get into spoilers, or would you rather us... I didn't even realise I'd be seeing it. Yeah, you spoiled it. It doesn't sound like anyone's got good reviews about it anyway, so you spoiled it away. Mm. Okay. Um, I still would be interested in you uh, watching it, Chris. Um, so, Morbius. Um, we start uh, with one of the shots from uh, the trailer, um, which is one of the only shots from the trailer in the fucking film. Where a uh, unwell um, Michael, Dr. Michael Morbius, um, is in a helicopter in Costa Rica. He goes to a, a literal bat cave um, and uh, cuts his hand to attract the bats. They're vampire bats. Um, he captures a load of bats and is essentially going to use them to um, work on curing his blood disease. Uh, there's then a flashback to when he was in some sort of boarding school slash, you know, hospital in Greece for some reason. Must be a comic book law thing, I imagine. Maybe there's there's not really any reason uh, explanation in the film why he goes to Greece. Uh, he then meets a guy called Lucius, who he quickly names Milo, um, and that sticks. Uh, Milo. How sorry? How weird is that, by the way? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Again, there's a there's a brief explanation that one of the kids way back when was called Milo, and so every other kid who stays in that room is, is Milo. Um, they become friends. They both have the same disease. Uh, then 25 years later, uh, Mr. Uh, Michael Morbius is is up for a Nobel Prize because he's managed to find a formula for synthetic blood, uh, so for transfusions and stuff, and it saved many lives. But he rejects it. Because it wasn't the he he made it by accident because he was actually searching for his own cure. Um, he's uh, got a colleague called Martin Bancroft um, who is played by Adria Arona. Um, I should add that Michael Morbius is Jared Leto and Milo is Matt Smith, who's the eleventh Doctor. Um, he he's you know doing gene splicing to uh, try and mix vampire blood with human blood because vampire blood doesn't coagulate or something and there's some vaguely scientific sounding reason why it might work um, but they can't do it on US soil, they have to do it in international waters so they go into a boat he uh, cures himself but turns into a vampire, uh, kills and drains the crew of all their blood um, uh, then Martin is injured uh, but not by him, uh, he fucks off um, is then very quickly captured um, by Tyrese uh, and his partner. Uh, he's then in. You can tell my enthusiasm for this is waning already. Um, essentially, Milo finds out that uh, Michael is cured, um, and it's like and, and has been funding all this research. Where he gets money from is never explained. Mm. Um, but he's like, "Oh, you're cool. You're you're, you're fixed." Like. Help me out. This is, you know, I've, I've done everything for you. Uh, just help me out. And Michael's like, no, because 
I've turned myself into a monster and, you know, I don't want you to do that. Um, they then have a little bit of a falling out, but then Milo takes it anyway, um, becomes a vampire and uh, seems to embrace his vampirism. Um, Michael is then positioned as the anti-hero who has killed people, but will stick with um, will stick with synthetic blood, which I think Blade does. I think he does, yeah. I think Blade does do that. Um, and, yeah, then then realises that he has to stop Milo. Um, he basically creates an antidote uh, in order to reverse the effects, um, which he then does and kills Milo. Uh, he was then going to use another one on himself, but that plot line is dropped. Um, Martin is killed. Um, then Morbius drains her blood for strength. Uh, at the end she's still to be alive slash undead um, yeah and then it kind of just ends um, and then then there's a couple of like you know the director credits and blah 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 um, and then there's a establishing shot of I think it's New York isn't it and um, you see this purple and black crack appear in the sky. Uh, very hurried, I think. There were someone clearly watched No Way Home two weeks ago and was like, "Oh shit." Um, well, this would be why. This is probably why I got pushed back from January to April, wasn't it? So they can mm, do this. Yes. Uh, and then there's a shot of a prison cell which was empty, but then all of a sudden, uh, Adrian Toomes, aka the Vulture, uh, appears. He's like. Hmm, this isn't my universe. And then he's released from prison because in this universe, Adrian Toomes has committed no crimes. Um, so he's then released and then there's a few more credits. And then, uh, for no reason really, um, Michael Morbius drives somewhere in the desert. Um, and then Vulture in full Vulture costume. How he gets that, we can discuss. Or maybe not because, you know, it's neither explained. How does he get the Chaturi technology, which was crucial to him creating the Vulture technology? Who knows? Anyway, there's a very terrible mid-credit scene where Adrian, who you don't see Michael Keaton's face, so probably all visual effects, mm. uh, says, thank you for meeting me here. Um, I'm not from this universe. It's definitely Spider-Man's fault. Um, so some of us need to team up against him. And Michael Morbius, who has no beef with Spider-Man. Probably doesn't even know that Spider-Man, know Spider-Man even exists in this earth. Doesn't know who Spider-Man is. There's no mention of Spider-Man throughout the entire film. There's two very, very brief mentions of Venom um, or things related to Venom. But other than that, Michael Morbius has no beef being that. He's also, throughout the film, established as someone who has morals and is not necessarily a villain. Um, but for some reason, it's like, yeah, I'm going to team up with you. That's a great point. Um, and then it ends but that shot was also clearly they'd filmed Jared Leto saying some lines probably had no idea what the response to those lines would be because it's clearly changed this film is edited to death so that like there are semblances of a decent film in here I genuinely think like I think the performances are good I think Matt Smith is really good. He he's he plays Milo really well and he he brings like a a cheek cheekiness to it. Um Jared Leto's always quite serious in these things, but he 
to me, he's not overacting. Um, and Andrea Arona's also pretty good. Um, and some of like the, the more like philosophical or ethical discussions that these characters have are interesting. But the rest of it, the action is poor. There's no real reason why everything turns to like um, cloudy mist uh, when they're moving. Um, also, there are numerous scenes where you do not see the actor's mouths moving and the dialogue is all over the top of different shots. So they've clearly, it's clear that they have changed the script, probably in post-production, and then tried to fix it in editing by having additional dialogue recorded and placed over some of these scenes. And it happens so often that when you do see an actor's mouth move, the, dub- the dubbing doesn't even fit. So, like, they're clearly saying different lines, but what you're hearing is is something else. And there's also a scene where Milo, um, after we find out he is a vampire, goes to a bar and he is in a very distinctive outfit. He's wearing a blue and white striped top with a blue and white striped tie. And he goes to a bar, chats up this woman who has a boyfriend. The boyfriend gets Larry and then he, like, uh, goes to turn into a vampire but controls himself which again is interesting because that's something that Morbius isn't able to do at this time and then the next scene the very next scene he is already inside the lab of Michael Morbius Michael comes in there and then Milo's like hmm hello and he's wearing a different outfit and so it's clearly a different day but I also think it probably happens chronologically before the scene we've just seen beforehand and so you're so confused about where all these things happen. There are half the trailer is not in the film. There's a shot where Tyrese's character has a bionic arm in the woods. Mm. That's not in it. Mm. There's a scene where Jared Harris's character is talking to um, Morbius on a bench. That's not in there. You just think like it's a few scenes of Michael Keaton as well that aren't in, just aren't in it. Yeah, and you're just like, what on earth did they do to this film post-production? But yeah, Obi. Um, yeah, I echo pretty much everything you said. Um, I actually, I'm not going to say I was looking forward to this film, but I was interested to see what this film was going to be like because, like I've been saying for months, the bar is in hell. Like for this, for this film to be half decent, I would have been ecstatic. Like the trailers, I thought were actually not too bad. You know, I thought, okay, this might be an okay film. Better than Venom, I hope. Um, is it better than Venom? Eh, marginally, maybe, for me. Um, but like like you say, like, I was, to be honest, I was bored. It's better than Venom 1, in my opinion. Fair enough. It's definitely better than Venom. For me, it's be- I think Venom 2 is absolute trash, though, but that's just me. Um, I suppose, like, um, like Venom 2, this film isn't very long. Um, so like an hour and forty, I think. So at least it goes by fairly quickly. But again, the stuff that's in it for me, I think it's largely quite boring. Um, I think, like you said, the action was was rubbish. Um, they ignore the fact that they kind of just write off the fact that Morbius like killed eight people. I know they're mercenaries, whatever, whatever. But like, still, they kind of just get over it. Um, and I was like, okay, sure. And I guess Matt Smith, the bad guy, because he killed. Um, 
well, he killed one, that woman, I think, out of him turning into a vampire, and then he killed that, those other four people out of malice, out of malicious, maliciousness. So I guess that makes him the bad character in this. But again, I thought his character wasn't very well fleshed out. I know he kind of like leans into the thing of like, you know, I've been sick my whole life, like I was about to die. I wasn't going to accept that fact I was going to die, so I took the serum. That's great. I, I like that motivation. Give me a bit more of that. Have, let's have you two arguing a bit more about, you know, about like the why, you know, why he should have taken it or why he shouldn't have taken it, blah, 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 blah. Um, I think that the opening scene uh, where he goes to the, the Batcave um, feels like that wasn't supposed to be the opening scene. Um, feels like that was maybe like mm. 10, 15 minutes in because you would think that maybe you would establish um, why you're going to that cave before you go to that cave. And it's not a thing of like, oh, I want to see how this comes full circle. It's like, well, no, because it, one, it doesn't come full circle. And two, it's just, like, oh, okay, he's going to get bat blood. And also he, he, um, he, um, uh, what was I going to say? He has this, supposedly this relationship with bats such so much that he sees them like they're his brothers or whatever or vice versa and at the end of the film he calls the bats to his aid but there's nothing explained in the film as to why matt smith can't control the bats either because they've gone through the same surely gone through the same process taken the same serum so why can he control the bats and do certain things matt smith can't why can matt smith fight better than he can do all this stuff better than he can they take again they're taking the same thing they're doing the same thing uh morbius has even been doing he's been running tests himself as far as we know that's the run test he just took the serum and suddenly he's all much more powerful than uh than what's his face um than morbius the, the end fight between him and uh morbius and and uh, milo is terrible it's just terrible like it's rubbish it's awful like i hated everything about it um the way the film ends, again, terrible. Um, the woman licking the blood and supposedly I think she's going to turn to a vampire as well. Awful. Um, the policeman in this film didn't need to be in this film. They didn't do anything. No. It could like it could have been... Because you could take all their scenes out of the film. It doesn't change the film one, one strand. Um, so that was a waste of time. Um, I suppose I slightly enjoyed the interactions between Milo and Morbius. Um, at times, I enjoyed some of the interactions between Morbius and uh, Bancroft. Morbius um, is a character that I don't root for. I don't know if I'm supposed to root for him. At least with Venom, you've got the whole lethal protector thing. So there is a, an idea that, you know, he's at least... There's something in him that kind of like, you know, is... Maybe not admirable, but something that you might think, OK, at least Eddie Brock's a good guy. Like, you know, he's not trying to do anyone any harm, blah, blah, blah. Like any block individually doesn't kill anyone in in in, uh, in Venom, but obviously Venom does. This one, Morbius, yeah, again kills people. Again, he also he takes synthetic blood, says that this won't sustain me, but I'm not going to take real blood because that would mean hurting people, and I don't want to do that. But they don't resolve that, as far as I'm aware, by the end of the film. So by the end of the film, you still need real blood to keep going so are you going to start killing people now do we know that that's a genuine question Glenn. I'm, but... I, no we don't we don't and and he was also willing to kill himself to stop 
yeah. his monstrosity. Yeah. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, he gets a text message from a guy who's just transported universes, and he's like, yo, I'm creating a club. And he's like, son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> and yeah, and like say, like those scenes, like Michael Keaton, I really like Michael Keaton. He seemed like, from the trailers, it seemed like he was a decent part of this film. He's only in it in the very last two scenes. And then why would you feature someone in the trailer who's only in who's only in it for the last two scenes? It, make, it doesn't make any sense. The end credit scene's awful. Yeah. Why would he come to a new universe and say, oh, I hope there's better food in this joint? You Surely you'd be like, what the fuck? What just happened? <laughs> like, and yeah. then... So, and, sorry, go on. Please. I was going to say, so the scenes in the trailer of Michael Keaton are not the ones that we see in the film. No. Um, I think that so initially Morbius was due to come out before No Way Home, wasn't it? Like quite substantially, I think. Um, I think it was supposed to come out before Venom Two. Um, so they had one version of this film, and then No Way Home happened. And I think Sony have just thought, shit, we need to tie this in and. I think that the scenes we see with Michael Keaton in, in the post-credits are, they've brought him back to do those yeah. scenes. Yeah. Um, and he's clearly not in the second one. It's just his voice. Yeah. And so they've, like, crowbarred in this reference to the MCU, which doesn't make any sense because all the villains were taken back to their universes after forgetting who Peter Parker was. Mm. Adrian Toomes has been transported to a another universe yeah. but knows who Spider-Man is I mean you could argue maybe he doesn't know who Peter Parker is but like yeah it doesn't make any sense yeah. and his vendetta like him to then be like this is definitely Spider-Man's fault like really like you've seen the event you've, you've been in prison through Infinity War like why would you assume it's Spider-Man's fault and not Doctor Strange's fault or Thanos' fault or some other fucking alien's fault, you know? It's just so slapdash. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And genuinely, when Justice League came out and was a hot pile of trash, people were like, there's definitely a different film in here mm. and I want to see that film. And that's how I feel about this. Yeah. Like, I'm sure this is not the film Daniel Espinosa made. Yeah, so and quickly. Someone has. Sorry, go on, let's finish, finish. I was just going to say, I want to see the Espinosa cut because I'm sure mm. it's at least half an hour longer and substantially better, more coherent. I agree. And also, just to kind of like piggyback on what you just said, um, with stuff in the trailer. So in the trailer, we see um, a. We see Morbus walk past a wall, I think in his prison outfit, he walks past a wall and it's got Spider Man on it and it says like murderer across it. Um, that that shot's not in this film. They asked Dan, Daniel Espinosa. They asked him. Yeah. Um, they asked him. Oh, what about happened to this shot? Blah blah blah. And he was like, I don't know. He wasn't. I didn't put it in there. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I know traders are made by different people than who people who make the movie. But surely, like, come on, man, have some. You know, what's it called? Yeah. Like, um, like talk to each other. Like, fucking hell. Like, <laughs> surely they got the shot shot from the film, though. Surely they send. Well, they send off the, so, probably they send off the film for the edits or the pieces so. they want in the trailers, right? You'd think so. Yeah, but at, so so that um, image of Spider-Man, right, where it says murderer, apparently that image is of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 
skin from the PS4 game Spider-Man. Right. So it's not even like so someone some executive or whoever puts this trailer together has just lifted an image from a Spider-Man game and put it on the wall to kind of raise hype for this film. That's, that's jarring. And <laughs> it's absolutely butchered it. That's very jarring. But yeah, this film, just to summarise, um, it's not good. At the same time, I will say it wasn't as horrible as part of me thought it was going to be. I think it's, for the most part, it's just boring. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's just not good. I wouldn't tell anyone to rush out to go and see this. I honestly wouldn't even tell anyone to go and see it when it comes on streaming, to be honest. Mm. The most egregious thing about it is the editing and, and the, the, the complete fuck-up that they've done in post-production. Yeah. And they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, <laughs> I... Yeah, I don't know how much time you guys are, are happy to spend. Uh, we've still got quite a few things that we can talk about. Um, one of the things I'm maybe most interested in hearing about is um, the Halo TV series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, Halo TV show uh, released, I think, maybe two weeks ago. And I watched the trailer for it and I thought, oh, it looks pretty decent. You know, it's like a sci-fi thing. I thought, you know, I'll give it a go. Um I have not played the games, so I don't have any special tie to the Halo series like some people might have. I think a lot of people have certain gripes with the first episode, at least, um, based on like their experience in the games. But um, basically, the premise of it is, I think it's set maybe two, three hundred years in the future um, on like different planets and stuff. There is like this group, which is basically like the Empire from Star Wars, and then you've got this group of rebels, and then you've got this other group called the Covenant, which are aliens who hate, I think they hate all humans, but it's, we're not sure why. The sea, the, the thing starts basically with a whole village of people, women, men, women and children, getting slaughtered by these Covenant people. Um, the, the, these are a group of rebels who get slaughtered. Um, they are rescued, in inverted commas, by... Um, these like four basically like super soldiers, um, which is presumably like the Halo people, I guess, like the people who are in the games, uh, who you play as in the games, including one called Master Chief, um, who is like the titular character. Um, they beat the Covenant. They leave one survivor um, who's uh, a young girl. I think she's like 14. Her dad is was a leader of this rebel tribe. He was killed trying to save her. And her mum was killed by the um, the Halo soldiers. Um, then the soldiers they go and search for like the Covenant, the alien ship. They find he, one of Master Chief finds this device um, and he touches it, and it basically makes him see some sort of vision, and it kind of like fucks him up in a weird way. And I think these soldiers are basically like they're basically like uh, pro- programmed, for lack of a better word. I think they are human. But they've been like um, programmed to be like fighting machines, basically, um, and they have to report into like scientists and the scientist base and stuff like that. Um, and at the same time, there's a bit of like political tension going on because these there's people, these rebel people who don't trust the empire. I don't know what they're called, but for lack of a better word, the empire. The empire thinks they're bringing like peace onto the land. They're trying to fight against the aliens. The aliens are like fuck all humans. So yeah, and 
in the alien base, there's also this one human woman who I think maybe was like um, transported there as a baby kind of thing. So she's kind of like growing up, like brainwashed. She like hates humans as well. She's like, fuck humans, even though she's a human herself. Um, then uh, Master Chief is transporting uh, this lone survivor from the rebel planet back to headquarters. They try to propaganda this girl. The Empire tries to propaganda this girl by basically saying like, "Oh, what if you tell you know tell pe- tell uh, the public that you know the Covenant, uh, the so the Halo soldiers are like good people. They saved you from the Covenant. Blah 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 blah. You know, give us a bit of good press." And she's like, "Nah, fuck you. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell them all that you came and slaughtered all our people." Blah blah blah. So she's on smoke basically because um, her dad was obviously <laughs> rebel leader, so she's kind of inherited that. And they're like, right, "Cool, we got we got to kill this girl before she ties to a good name." <laughs> So then the um, Master Chief, because he, he touched this device thing, it's like fucked up his body and his brain. He's kind of like seeing like memories and stuff, which obviously he's not supposed to see because they wiped his memories. And it seemed he was like a young kid who had a family and like all this stuff happened. Presumably none of these soldiers, there's four of them that we see, none of these soldiers knew, know about their past life, presumably. Um, and all the people, the scientists back at the base, when they see that he's like experiencing these things, are like, oh shit, like, we might have to terminate this guy kind of thing. But he's like the best fighter in the whole thing. So like, I think if they're going to kill him, they have to come with everything they got sort of thing. Um, so he sees that, must Chief that is, so he sees that they're trying to kill this girl. Um, and he says, something in him tells him, oh, I'm going to protect you now. And the girl's like, why are you doing that? And he's like, I have no idea, but I've seen like an instinct. So he's becoming more human, I think as he's coming towards um, the base where the Empire is, they're ready to attack him because they know he's obeying orders. So they're like, yeah, we have to kill both of them kind of thing. At the same time, the head scientist tells the other Halo soldiers, like, yeah, don't let them kill your guy in it. So, like, if they start shooting, kill everybody. Kill everybody. So they're ready. Jeez. So, like, if, <laughs> if, if, they, if the army starts shooting on Marchi, the rest of the Halo soldiers are back, we're about to go wild. It doesn't get to that point because... Um, uh, Master Chief touches. Oh, he takes off his helmet. By the way, apparently that's a big thing. Cause apparently, in the game you know, takes off his helmet, and people were annoyed about that. That's what I mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, Master Chief touches the thing again, the uh, device again, because it's still on the ship. Um, he has another memory and sees like again, see family and stuff, and drawings and all whatnot. And then that causes some sort of um, overload on the ship and the base. It powers down everything in the base, powers up their ship so that they can use their manual flying it and fuck off to wherever they want to go. Um, and then the ship flies off. So him and this girl now, Master Chief that is, and this girl are on like, some sort of adventure. And yeah, the other, everyone else at the back of the base is like, what the fuck are we going to do now? Because yeah, he's our strongest fighter and he's gone rogue, basically. So yeah, that was the summer first episode and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. You know? I don't know if you got that from okay. the words describing it. But, mm. Sounds like Mandalorian to me. I would say there's element, there's definitely elements of Mandalorian, yeah, for sure. I say the two t- t- main characters are different in that Master Chief Mandalorian was very strictly like he wanted to follow the ways of Mand- Mandalore, but this uh, Master Chief guy seems to have already broken away from you know being told what to do. He really wants to go and you know do do his own thing. But yeah, there's definitely similarities there for sure. But yeah, where can we watch it? Uh, you can watch it on uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> you can watch it on uh, certain devices also <laughs> um, but it's, oh, it's a Paramount, it. it's a Paramount Plus show um, and I think we're getting Paramount Plus in the UK 
But this is another streaming thing. Then we were saying this. We were saying this. Talking about this this morning. Like it's crazy. All these streaming platforms. Um, but this is another one. I think Paramount Plus is coming out in June in Europe across Europe. So I think if we are going to get it, it will come out then over here. No, it is crazy, but it's not crazy. Like I always think, like these streaming services, they are quite crazy that they're coming out on different platforms. At the end of the day, like people pay for extra TV packages, have extra programs and stuff like that, see series and everything. So, mm. but yeah, I think the thing yeah. is, like, sorry, Chris, go on, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 that's fine, fine, fine. Um, I was gonna say, sorry for interrupting you. I was gonna say oh, that, um, obviously the invention, not the invention, but like the start of streaming was like, oh, this is your alternative to your basic, your cable packages. So instead of paying £50 a month for your extra this and your extra that, just pay £10 a month and you can watch all of this stuff. And now everyone's bringing out ones, obviously, you know, I have several, um, you guys might have a couple each as well, and you end up spending the exact same amount, even more than you would than you would have per month if you if you got like, you know, cable from back in the day. You know? Yeah, true. Yeah. Very, very true. And it's, it's also like, you know, when you used to have Sky, you didn't have Sky, you know, um, by one or something. Like, the quality of the programming wasn't, like, too much where you're, like, oh, I'm missing out. Mm. But then, then you were getting, like, Sky Atlantic, and it was like, right, oh, I need to get that to watch Game of Thrones. Mm. And then, like, now they're, like, releasing films straight to there, like, films that are winning Oscars, um... So there's more like the quality is improving. So you're like, okay, I feel, I'm getting FOMO by not having this mm. service. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Although um, I watched the first episode of Peacemaker on Now TV. What do you think? I really liked it. I knew you would. I, I had yeah, a feeling. Yeah. It's, your, it's your type of show. Yeah, I like the humour. Um, I like John Cena. I think he's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've wasn't too bothered about the actual butterflies and things like that i just found it quite funny like when he's having that conversation with the janitor he's like can i trust you and he's like no i don't even know who you are (laughs) and he's like but if i tell you something like will you tell anyone else and he's like i don't know maybe (laughs) and he's like i'm gonna tell you anyway (laughs) like i find that so funny um yeah so i will i will continue watching that um you know i've still got quite a few things to finish including top boy still but yes I will finish that. Um, right, a few more things we can whiz through if you will indulge me. Um, so I want to talk about Uma, which um, I saw a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's a Korean-American supernatural horror film. Um, it's basically like a family drama between um, a mother and daughter. Um, so Sandra O oh plays a man... Uh, a, Amanda, Amanda, bloody hell. Um, <laughs> Amanda. Amanda, darling. Um, no, Amanda. Uh, so, so, yeah. So she's first generation um, South Korean immigrant. Uh, her parents immigrated um, when she was a child. Um, she had a difficult relationship with her mother, who did not speak English at all, uh, and so therefore became very isolated in America um, and mistreated uh, Amanda, um, although Amanda was not her. South Korean name. Um, so Amanda very much isolates herself. She lives on a farm, um, makes her own honey, um, doesn't use electricity at all because she was um, essentially tortured or punished by having electric shocks, uh, So which you find out through flashbacks. Um, so she's very adverse to electricity. 
Um, and she's brought her daughter up, Chris, um, in that way. Um, but Chris doesn't know why uh, there's no electricity. It's just she's never had it. She's never grown up with it. So she just takes it as, as fact. Um, then, is, there da- is there a dad in the picture? No. Uh, it's not really explained where he goes. Um, it's basically about mothers and, and their daughters, essentially. Um, then uh, Amanda's uncle turns up um, from South Korea and says, your mother's died. Um, and in their traditional way, he gives her the uh, urn and says, you know, she wants a proper, like, traditional kind of ceremonial burial. And Amanda's like, fuck that, you know, like, I don't want anything to do with this woman. But then she sorts starts to see her mother or feel her mother and um you know become there's there's like a uh more and more cases where amanda is becoming more like her mother or becoming her mother um and there's like a ghostly sort of like you know is she there or is it just like um like ptsd coming through or like unresolved uh you know, issues with her mother. Um, to the point where she then starts to treat her own daughter the way that she was treated and has tried so hard not to do. Um, and that culminates essentially in Amanda literally becoming her own mother and um, they then have to kind of uh, cast that away and then they give her a proper burial and it's all resolved. Um, Chris, during this period, meets someone um, uh, a girl called River who is like you're very odd but um, you know why don't you want to go to college and stuff and so she starts trying to do these college applications and then Amanda feels that she's losing her daughter and they wants to, wants to keep her close and that's one of the reasons that she um, you know, starts kind of mimicking the things that her own mother did um, so this is an interesting take it's not like you know jump out your seat horror it's more say, like you say you say this is a horror film right it, yeah it's got elements of it it's more right. like a domestic drama i guess with right. like spooky elements um the horror isn't it's not particularly scary there's maybe like one or two jump scares but it's more about like i guess the the relationship between the mother and daughter and how that is impacting you know um and i guess the morals of like bringing your daughter up in a certain way just because you're um, you know, afraid of certain things. Um, so it was interesting. I think the, the devices they use in terms of like the grandmother here, it's a ghostly presence type thing, becomes very repetitive very quickly because they tend to just default to the same um, like style of, of doing it. So like it's difficult for me to explain without like showing you an example, but it'd be like, you know, um, the, like a kimono type dress. I don't think it's the right name for it, but it's like a kimono and it, you know, then there'll be like a flash and it will look like she's there and then it won't be. But like they don't mix it up enough for it mm. to stay interesting. They kind of just reuse, rehash the same device. Um, so I thought it was average. It's a very short film. It's like 80 minutes long. Um, and it's interesting the way that like the South Korean culture and being first generation um, and, and when you 
understand why the mother was so strict uh, because she was lonely because she couldn't speak the language she was literally isolated you kind of have some sense of uh, sympathy um, mm. that obviously doesn't condone the actions but yeah so it was interesting but I think the actual kind of subject matter was more interesting than the execution uh, in my opinion do you want to quickly talk us through Sonic 2? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Sonic 2. Um, obviously, sequel to the Sonic film, which I thought was pretty good for as far as, like, you know, games based off of... I mean, sorry, film was based off of uh, game properties go. Um, this film basically continues on from the last one. Um, Dr... I can't remember his name, Dr. Sputnik, Robotnik, whatever his name is. He comes back from the planet that he was banished to. He brings with him Knuckles, who's obviously a, another like video game character. Um, and they go to uh, get Sonic so that um, they can try and find this emerald, which is basically um, really important to Knuckles and like, his, his tribe because it, the, it makes the, the giver of it, the, sorry, the holder of it, um, it allows them like, to create anything they want, basically. So obviously... Um, Dr. Robotnik wants this to, you know, do evil and stuff. Um, at the same time, Sonic is kind of like, he's trying to fight crime. There's a few, like, Batman references in there, which was quite funny, because of, like, Blue Justice and stuff. Um, he is uh, James Marsden's character, which is, like, basically his dad, his mum and dad, basically. Um, they go to the wedding for their sister, so they're kind of like, and they basically tell Sonic to, like, behave. Obviously, he doesn't gets himself into trouble and he gets fought by these um by knuckles and uh, robotnik and he is rescued or he's helped by uh tails again another character from the game um and they basically become friends uh, sonic and tails and they go to uh use a map to try and find which he was given by uh one of the characters in the first film which is i cannot remember it was the giant owl i can't remember her name um and they use this map to go and find the emerald, and basically it's like a cat and mouse, like both going for the emerald, like that sort of vibe, that sort of story. Um, and yeah, like and obviously you know, well they find the they find the emerald. Doctor Robotnik takes it and uh, does some evil shit with it, but then because uh, he betrays Knuckles, Knuckles uh, teams up with Tails and Sonic, and they all fight together as a team. And get it back and yeah they win in the end um and again like it's similar to the first one like it's a fun it's a fun film like it i watch it mainly because i used to play the sonic games uh on i think it on, must have been on dreamcast back in then on dreamcast oh, yeah back in the day and i there was a tv show on um either fox or jetix as well which i used to watch um and yeah, I just watched it mainly for, to see those characters and how they're portrayed. It gives me like that feeling of like nostalgia. That was the main reason why I watched it. And it's a fun time. It doesn't take itself too seriously at all. There's some funny jokes in there as well. Like it's, it's really lighthearted. And I think, um, I think if you yeah, if you turn your brain off, like it's just a film where you know have a bit of dumb fun, especially if you were a fan of the of the characters as well. Um, and then they set up the third one as well in a in a post credit for uh, what, another character called Shadow. Which again, I'm gonna go and watch it because I want to see that Ooh, character. Did they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I used to, I used to always want to play as Knuckles or Shadow because they always had like insane stats. I used to love Knuckles. I love Knuckles. Yeah. It's just badass. Um, yeah, and Idris Elba 
voice voice is the voice actor for him, and he's quite funny at times because he it's very much like think Drax in um, Guardians of the Galaxy, very much like that, quite dry. Uh, yeah, and it's quite funny. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny, and yeah, it's a good time, man. Uh, I wouldn't tell anyone to go unless you're like a big fan of the first one. I wouldn't tell anyone to go out and rush to go see it. Um, wait for it to come on Netflix. The first one's on Netflix. Anybody wants to go? And I'm gonna that. watch the first one this weekend, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you can uh, check out Obi's review on Instagram uh, at your average critics. Oh no, wait, you don't fucking. <laughs> wow, wow! So on, <laughs> on, on air, on on record, Good? mate. On oh, record, yeah, say? He call me out for not for never doing Instagram posts. <laughs> I mean, I can't say anything. So, <laughs> what would wow, you give okay. it out of ten, Obi? Um, I would give it. I would give it... I want to give it a 7, but I don't think it's quite a 7, so I'm going to give it a 6.8. Oh, no, 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 no. Is there a 6.5 or a 7? How how dare you, sir? I can, I can rate the film whatever I like. Thank you very much. <laughs> you do a post, because your posts always get more interaction, so do one for Sonic. Give it a 6.8, and maybe that'll be a discussion point. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I will, I will check out Sonic um, and Sonic 2 when I get the chance. Um, two more films I want to rattle through, if you do not mind. First of which is Ambulance, um, which I think is a really shit name for a film. Um, although it probably sounds better in an American accent, like Ambulance. Ambulance. Um, quickly, um, Glenn, sorry, can you not give me spoilers for this? Because I do want to go and see. Okay. Um, I mean, there's not kind of too much to give away. Um, if you've seen the trailer, you get the plot. So, um, essentially, uh, there's a guy, Will Sharp. Uh, played by Yaya Abdul Mateen II. Um, he needs money for his wife's uh, medical procedure. Um, she's got cancer. Um, so he goes to his brother, um, Danny, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who's probably my favourite actor. Um, he's also whatever handsome. Yeah. Um, just very ream. Um, so he's like, yo, I need to borrow like 200k. Danny's like, what about 32 million? And he's like, yeah. Um, so they essentially do a bank heist, which is 30. You know, it's not going to go wrong. Um, mm. Have I ever let you down, bro? No, bro. Um, so they rob the bank. Oh, it goes wrong. Um, and then they uh, try and escape by stealing an ambulance, um, which uh, was currently uh, being occupied by Isaac Gonzalez. Um, who is a paramedic and a cop who has been injured. Um, so there's very much like a race against time. The cops uh bleeding out. Um, they're trying to escape. They're trying to like, you know, he's got to go back to his family. He's got to like protect his brother. Um, so yeah, I mean, I won't say much more than that. Um, it's essentially a two hour long car chase, uh, which is pretty entertaining. They keep it quite fresh. Um, in terms of like action set pieces and settings and there's a lot of like side characters who are very quippy um, and to be honest it works uh, it's not quite as annoying as you might expect it to be um, and whilst when the ambulance is actually racing around LA it can be quite disorientating in terms of like the geography and like didn't you just go down a ramp? Now you're going up a ramp. Like, but whatever. Like, you, you know, uh, 
you can switch off from that. It's typical Michael Bay. He's got crazy camera pans and cuts and, and there's drone shots which are panning downwards and then as it goes down it cuts to the floor and you're like why did you bother doing that drone shot in the first place mm-hmm. but it's hectic it's chaotic manic um the two or well, the three leads i think are very good uh and they kind of give this film not a sense of groundedness that's that's too far but like they're not like too hammy in the sense that it just makes it even more ridiculous if that makes sense like they're kind of treating the subject matter with relative seriousness when everything around them is mad and it works um so yeah i enjoyed it um it made me pretty uh like you know you feel like adrenaline as well so um it works in that regard it's a return to form after the 15 Transformers films. Um, so yes, I would recommend it. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good check it out whilst it's still in cinemas. Um, and another film which uh, kind of gave my body stress, but for a different reason, is The Novice, um, which is described as a psychological thriller drama, which I wouldn't really say so. Um, it's a film about a freshman in college who joins uh, a varsity rowing team um she is essentially a like obsessive competitor she's like has to be the best at everything even though she is not naturally the best at everything so she really pushes herself she does like four of the same test to like make sure that she's getting the answers right and stuff um it's starring isabel Furman, who was the um girl from the film orphan if you've ever seen that um and yeah um it's it's basically a story of her obsession um about the rowing and there's there's girls within the team who are better than her more natural athletes and it's about how she pushes herself constantly um she's like training at all times of the day like skipping school um skipping holidays and stuff like that um so she's she ends up being like quite an isolated character but she's so obsessive and the it, the film is, is relatively short but also quite relentless in like the presentation of her training and, and stuff and that incessant nature it was quite stressful to watch um, the performance is good but you don't really learn anything about Alex who's the central character mm. um, I think she has that one phone call with her mum you don't hear her, anything from her mum's side you don't know anything about her family really apart from that she's she was like had a scholarship to the school. She didn't really need the varsity. She didn't really need to perform that well because she already had a full scholarship. Um, so I kind of watched it and I was like, not really sure why this film was made. Um, That's never a good sign. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was fine, but I was sort of like, a film about varsity rowing is not that interesting. And the film didn't necessarily make it interesting enough for me to be like yes I can see why you chose to film this um, I think it was semi-autobiographical from the director uh, Lauren Hadaway um, it's her first film so kind of maybe it was a bit of a vanity project in that sense um, mm. be like hey I went through some of this stuff I want to put it on film which is fair enough um, but this was the screen unseen that uh, was shown at Odeon uh, a couple weeks ago 
Yeah, covered quite a lot today. Chris, is there anything that um, you want to discuss? I uh, appreciate me and Obi have done a lot. No, it's all good. It's all good. All good for this week, don't worry. All right. Chris said, hurry, fucking wrap this up, mate. Let's go. All right, all right. Well, next week or this week coming out is uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Oh, yeah. um, I'm sure we'll discuss that on the next pod. Um not even sure what else is coming out, to be honest. So it might be significantly fewer uh, films we talk about. But there's Moon Knight episode two as well. So, yeah. Uh, any more for any more? Um, tapped out. Tapped out. I think I am as well. All right. Well, uh, all I'll say is I'll plug the socials. So we're on Twitter at YSC Podcast 17. Um, OB does tons of Instagram reviews um, under your average critics. I did one this year. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> Maybe do one more. Um, uh, yeah, so we do mini reviews on there. Um, please do, you know, get involved in the conversations. Um, and, yeah, tune in next time. Keep it sexy. Hey.